0: Welcome to the Podcast of the Plague Year. I'm your host, Terry Schumacher. Podcast for the Plague Year is a deeper dive into contributions made to the Journal of the Plague Year, a project of Arizona State University. Available online, the archive allows anyone to submit artifacts regarding life during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mining the many photos, videos, reflections, and other submissions to the archive, this podcast, Podcast of the Plague Year, selects some interesting topics and explores the world of the pandemic life. Join us as we journey across the world to see how the pandemic has influenced the daily lives of people everywhere. After a short break, the podcast of The Plague Year is back. To begin our first episodes in 2021, we're exploring apocalyptic tendencies and ideologies during the COVID-19 pandemic. Life during the pandemic has been a long and arduous journey of loss, illness, and challenge. Although vaccines promise a hopeful future, many remain bleak about the coming days in the journal of the plague year contributors describe current life as surviving the apocalypse or uncertain tomorrows where do these ideas come from what sources are being drawn upon intentionally or unintentionally in these ideas to address these questions we've assembled two podcasts with scholars who study the book of revelation biblical literature and the apocalyptic tendencies that continue to shape our world today in this episode, Arizona State University undergraduate Kaylee McCann co hosts as we interview Professor Jacqueline Hidago. Listen as Professor Hidago discusses biblical literature and social issues today that make the Book of Revelation alluring. So uh, I am here with my co host, Kaylee McCann. Hi, Kaylee, how are you?
1: Good, doing good. How about you?
0: and i'm I'm doing well thanks, and Kaylee is an undergraduate student at arizona state University and then Kaylee and I are excited to be interviewing Professor Jacqueline Nadago, Associate Dean for Institutional Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and Professor of Latina, Latino Studies, and Religion at Williams College. Jackie, thanks so much for talking to us today.
2: Thanks, Terry and Kaylee. It's great to speak with you
0: and so to start, um will you just give us a little bit of information of how your research and studies relates to the area of uh, apocalyptism?
2: Yes. So let me talk about this in a couple of different directions. I'm a student of critical comparative scriptures. I'm partially trained in the study of what we would call the New Testament with a focus on the book of Revelation. The other layer would be my interest in both approaches to What one might think of as playing with the end, thinking about the end of things, thinking about temporal crises and revelation as a form of knowledge, the relationship between these, as well as utopian dreaming in the case of texts and practices that I might call scriptural in the context of Latinx communities in the United States. So those are kind of the 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 two wings is both thinking about apocalypse vis-a-vis the book of Revelation in the ancient world and its legacies, especially for Latinx populations in the more contemporary United States.
0: Yeah, so your research sounds absolutely fascinating, particularly to me. I'm also in the religious studies field. And I find that there's quite a few misconceptions about the book of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, and talking with students, but then just talking, you know, in the general public. And coupled with that, there seems to be an absolute fascination with apocalyptic mapping, decoding, and things like that. Do you find the same thing that there there are some misconceptions about what it is and what it isn't? And what are some of those misconceptions that, that you maybe encounter?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting thing as, as a student, not simply of the book of Revelation in the ancient world, but also as a student of how people have engaged the book of Revelation as scripture. It is a real testament to all of the different ways that people look for themselves, look for meaning in a shared text and see completely different things. The book of Revelation is a really great prism for thinking about the problematic of scriptures in a broader way what they are, how communities engage them, how they go about authorizing meaning around them, how they contest meaning around them. And that's part of why it's of interest to me is that. On the one hand, you say the book of Revelation or you say the apocalypse and people already seem to have such preordained assumptions about what it is. But if you ask them a little bit further, you really start to uncover the sheer diversity of meanings, of employments, of engagements that this text has inspired throughout history and among so many different people. And I think it really helps you to think about how scriptures is often more about actually the diversity of engagements and just the power of a shared text, even if people see that text so differently. What I mean by that, as I think this is what you're pointing to, is so often in our contemporary world, people have looked at the book of Revelation as if it's like a I want to say, I don't know, a magic eight ball or a uh, a kind of decoder ring. And that if you just interpret it correctly, you can make sense of contemporary events. You can sort of plot where we are on some clear linear framework that starts in the ancient world and will end with Jesus's return sometime very soon. And they sort of look at Revelation and, and think that that it has some version of that. Even if they're people who dispute that version of the Book of Revelation, sometimes they're so afraid of that version of the Book of Revelation that that's also what they see in it. I think that you know one of the things that when you're working with students that is both a fun thing about teaching the book of revelation and teaching a bunch of different people interpreting it is to helping them to think of it in terms of the ancient world and helping them to sort of ask what it might mean look at this text and unpack the assumptions we bring to it because of its history of interpretation what might it mean if we set aside the assumption that it's speaking to us or about us in this particular moment? And we maybe give it some respect as a radical other for a moment. What can we see? And then what can that tell us about about the present and about now in terms of what we've inherited from the history of interpreting this text?
0: Very well stated, Kaylee and I. Uh, we we have a shared Google document that we're using here, and she has a follow up question that uh, she wants to ask you from some of the things you were you were just articulating.
1: Yeah. So I I heard you kind of say that there's a lot of people who follow the Book of Revelation and they have their own perspective on it. Whether it's occurring now, they see that the Book of Revelation is following the same. I guess, momentous opportunities that were happening, or might I say, like events that were happening in Revelation? So do you think that the book of Revelation applies to things that are occurring now? And that's kind of why there's a lot of people that believe we are in the end of the world times and why there's so many false prophets saying that the end times are near because kind of the world is reflecting what the book of Revelation kind of was talking about. So I I think that's a really interesting question,
2: if in part, because I I don't think that there's any one way to look at the book of Revelation. I I will say a definite no. I don't think that in a classical sense that the book of Revelation is at all about our world. In one one way, I'll take a really hard no. It's not about us at all. But (laughs) because we live in a world that has been so deeply in some way shaped by readers of Revelation and people who interpreted it in some very particular veins. It is about our world, not because this book describes the events that we live in or because it describes the world we live in in any intentional way at all. It does not. But because we've inherited a world that has in many critical ways been shaped by people who have engaged with this text deeply, for good and for ill. And to sort of speak about that a little bit concretely, I would say that, you know, often undiscussed in popular culture, but probably pretty important hemispherically, is Christopher Columbus very much saw himself as discovering in some ways, the new world promised by John the Prophet. So, to some extent, like our the, the imperial history that shaped this hemisphere and whose legacies still envelop us is deeply shaped by revelation in that way. And another way that that uh, I think we like to talk about it is. If we think about the book of Revelation in its ancient context, we think about it as the product of an oppressed and minoritized community under a dominating empire, that dominating empire being Rome. It's responding to imperial structures of domination. It's responding to a sense of a crisis of meaning in the world. And I think that we experience a lot of that right now because of what's going on where we are dealing with death of a scale that we can't even find a way to talk about well publicly, at least not yet, where we're dealing with a feeling of social disorder, social struggles. And we're dealing with, certainly in terms of some of the practices of the most recent administration of the United States, forms of domination that become easy to read in relationship to other histories of domination. And to the extent that the book of Revelation is a critique of imperial domination, a resistant response to it, and a cry for an end to the crisis of death and violence and subjugation and suffering, to the extent that all of these things are in it, of course, it's easy for us to feel a connection to it
0: now. My thoughts are running in a million different directions from everything that you're saying. I think we could go down a deep rabbit hole about the author's authority versus the interpreter's authority. But with what you're saying, which I think is, again, absolutely fascinating, I, I saw that you published a paper in the Journal of Biblical Literature called Scripturalizing the Pandemic in last year. And I, I wonder if you could talk more specifically about the current pandemic and how that has been scripturalized, I guess, to use uh, your framing there in this particular moment.
2: Yeah, thank you for asking me about that. So in in that essay, I take on a couple of different threads in terms of what I mean. And I want to say that I wrote that essay in June, and that was a very particular moment in both the pandemic in terms of COVID, but also in terms of the history of the pandemic of racism, especially anti-Black racism in the United States. It was about the way in part that the pandemic had come to be employed both as a metaphor, but also as a synecdoche, as a, as a metaphor for racism, but also as an example of racism and, and the way people had come to think of racism and COVID as dual pandemics, the way that they were talking about it. So partially, I, I was responding to this circulating use of the pandemic as a metaphor and an example of racism in action. And so I was interested. In thinking through that and interested in thinking about especially the ways that, as scholars of religion, as scholars of scriptures, we can understand and think about the power of metaphors about bodily health and social health and, and their relationships. So, that's sort of one piece that I, I thought was interesting, bearing in mind. That it can be quite difficult to disentangle social health from bodily health when the manifestations of anti Black racism have been less access to healthcare, have been violent and unjust early death from a variety of factors. The other piece that was of interest to me has to do with a moment in conversation that happened early on in the pandemic. And it was a conversation between Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin. Nancy Pelosi was talking about this conversation and, and trying to make the case for what we need to do in order to care for people. And she was quoting scripture. And Steve Mnuchin replied, allow me to quote you the markets. And it was a a sort of interesting exchange uh, to me that I thought encapsulated how some of the social struggles of our contemporary moment are actually about the ways that we as a society are turning to and drawing on not just conflicting interpretations of shared scriptures, but actually conflicting scriptures at this point and conflicting assumptions about what should be scriptural and what that relationship should even look like.
0: Again, super interesting work in thinking about what, what is pandemic, particularly in the social conditions we find ourselves. Your work, I guess, and others have used it to expand the notion of pandemic as the things that we are, are facing right now in, in the world and kaylee wants to ask you another question particularly about the bible and plagues and the pandemic
1: yeah so i'm not only interested but i feel like the readers would be interested in knowing the potential connection of end of the world and then the waves of interest in the end of the world in the sense that the bible does state something along the lines that in the end of the world times god will bring about a plague hunger do you think that in a sense when the Bible is mentioning these plagues that people are truly believing that the um, current COVID pandemic is a sign of God coming by plaguing the earth? So if I if I understood the question correctly, it's, you know, given that
2: the the Bible talks about plagues, do people, because of their interpret the way they interpret the Bible, do they believe that COVID is a sign?
1: Yeah, or even do you believe that that could be one of the reasons why people are so, especially like in this last year, they were so pro end of the world. It's happening. God's coming soon, etc. So I want to say maybe a a couple of
2: things. I'd say like first of all, I think right part of the reason that uh, pestilence appears in the Book of Revelation per se is that the Book of Revelation is playing with Exodus. It's among the many Jewish texts that the Book of Revelation is playing with. I would also say that. People have been thinking that all kinds of things are the signs of the end of the world for a long time now. So to the extent that I think there's anything really momentous or special about this moment and people's interpreting it as being the end of the world, as COVID, you know, seeing COVID as an example of a plague that signals the end of the world... It's not so spectacular to me because people have done that for such a long time. What's of interest to me, given my age range, is seeing not just people that one might associate with sort of a specific kind of biblically fundamentalist, evangelical Christian strain of, or orientation to the Bible, um, viewing it this way. I think what's striking to me is seeing people in different branches of the political and religious spectrum viewing covid this way. I think one of my views on it when, you know, when I see it and I think this comes up in a couple of different ways, the pandemic here is not just the virus. It's the social inequities that have made the virus so much worse, that have made our experience of the virus so much worse in this country. In scripturalizing the pandemic, I specifically talk about the structures of racial capitalism in the United States. But it is precisely that the inequities of imperial domination also shaped the uneven experiences of violence in the ancient world, that I think that is part of why it is easy to see how a connection of disease like this is also a manifestation of social diseases, and it is easier to see that connection. I think for people who are uh, not in the traditional religious communities, who were generally reading the Book of Revelation and generally looking toward the end of the world in a kind of literal sense, the the ills of the book of Revelation, are not just about physical illness itself, but also the ways that these ills represent and manifest societal ills. And I think that there are many people who feel that way about COVID right now. We can see how that becomes an easier analogy and an easier leap for people to make who might not normally have made that leap.
0: Can I ask you a follow-up question with that? Because I, I think you know the, the social context and the social conditions are absolutely vital if you're going to understand the, the apocalyptic literature of the book of Revelation uh, with the Roman Empire, but also in thinking about Revelation, the pandemic, end of the world ideologies that permeate our society today. In some ways, I've been a little bit surprised that many evangelical fundamentalist voices, the, those that you cite who have particularly kind of been interested in, in uh, the book of Revelation, interpreting the book of Revelation, decoding it. But from what I can tell, I haven't been using that language as much. Do you think that there's a connection possibly between kind of Trump's administration kind of privileging white evangelicals, uh, fundamentalists, that they don't see this at the, as the end of the world right now? They actually see this as like a more positive experience because they have been in power? and now with the change in administrations we might see like a, a rediscovery of those apocalyptic that apocalyptic language and resources now that p- potentially they won't have as much power
2: so here here is how i i might answer that i'd say that the to the extent that i actually really agree with you in a lot of ways i think that the format and formula of apocalyptic language among conservative white evangelicals has looked quite different and looked quite different under the Trump administration than it has in other eras. Again, I don't have, I have not conducted a scientific survey, but I would agree with you that I think it certainly did. And I think it did precisely because they had a different relationship to that administration. But if you look at work that has been done sort of analyzing the, ideas of, say, that of the QAnon folk and some of the rhetoric coming out of some of these more conservative white evangelical communities, it is actually still the case that they are speaking in an apocalyptic language, and they are still drawing on the apocalyptic mythos. Trump was an important and key figure in what they believed was still a kind of apocalyptic war. That was going on and that was at stake. And if you and this becomes really clear, if you look at some of the QAnon folk, I remember reading an interview with one of the the QAnon violent insurrectionists at the Capitol on January sixth, where he was speaking quite overtly about Trump as a a savior figure in an apocalyptic war of sorts. So that rhetoric was still there. I think what's really interesting here, and to go back in some ways to Kaylee's question, is that COVID is not a sign of the end of the world in that rhetoric in quite the same way, right? That it it has been for people on other parts of the political spectrum. And I think that has everything to do with how the Trump administration talked about and represented the coronavirus and what COVID-19 came to signal as a political marker in the United States in the last year. Your belief that COVID-19 was a serious pandemic or plague, like believing that was itself a a marker of political identity. And so I think that COVID-19 couldn't be perceived as a significant plague in apocalyptic terms by conservative white evangelicals because that would be to admit that COVID-19 was a
1: significant plague.
0: Yeah, I think politicizing the pandemic obviously interestingly has has uh had profound impacts on apocalyptic notions uh, and how those things can be interpreted and you're exactly right right if you think it's a hoax and you're going along with that then of course it can't be one of the plagues yeah thank you so much for that response and and thank you for your time today we've been talking for over 30 minutes now and so i want to respect your time because i think kaylee and i could talk to you all day and pick your brain uh, about all of these ideas Again, thank you so much for speaking with us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Professor Hidago. Join us next time as I talk with Lynn Huber, a scholar at Elon University, to further discuss the pandemic and apocalypse. Thanks to Kaylee for co-hosting with me and for the valuable insights provided by Jackie Hidalgo. Be well.
1: Many thanks to our guest in this episode, Jacqueline Hidalgo. This episode was hosted by Terry Shoemaker, produced and edited by Amelia Michelson, graphic designed by Carson Shoemaker, and administered by Eli Thibault. This podcast for the Playgear is a compliment to the Journal for the Playgear, a project of Catherine O'Donnell and Mark Debo both faculty at Arizona State University's School for Historical, Philosophical, and Religious Studies.